you'll probably find this shocking, but at 44 years of age, I have done some dumb things in my life. I know it's shocking. I know so many of you think, man, that's Pastor Gary. The only person who ever lived that was perfect was Jesus. But if there was a 9.9, that would be Pastor Gary. But I have done some dumb things in my life. I've done things that have hurt people. I've done things that have hurt friends. I have done things that have hurt family members. I have done things that have hurt my bride. I've done things that have hurt my kids. I've done things that have hurt my family. Um... Man, I have, I've hurt myself by doing dumb things. I've lost friends over dumb things. I've lost money over dumb things. I've lost jobs over dumb things. Matter of fact, dare I say, if you can do it wrong, I've probably done it. I am probably the king of taking plan A, And having to be forced to live out plan B. In some cases, I'm on plan double Z. We've went through the alphabet and we're back there again. I could literally write a book on what not to do in life. And I used to be the person who couldn't function in life because I lived my life beating myself up over my mess-ups. I don't know what it is about forgiving yourself, but forgiving yourself is hard. Even today, I think I have a lot of victory in that area, but man, I struggle from time to time. I actually find it easier... To forgive those that have hurt me than it is to forgive myself. Answer that phone and tell them you're in church. It's hard. You live in your head sometimes. You, you replay the hurt over and over. You, you replay the letdowns over and over. It's funny, when people do me wrong, those people don't live in my head. But I live in my own head. Forgiving yourself is hard. Let's just be honest, nobody can beat us up like we beat up ourselves. It's why I always get a kick out of when people screw up and people feel like it's their job to tell them they screwed up. Like, no joke, they didn't know they screwed up. My wife's gone, my kids won't talk to me, I have no money. Hey, thanks for the reminder. (laughs) But the reality is, if we're going to live the life we were created for, if we're going to make the most of this amazing, amazing freaking thing that God gave us called life, you better learn to forgive yourself when you screw up. Because I, I want to encourage you today. That's my job as the pastor, right? To be an encouragement. Here's my encouragement today. You're going to screw up. You're going to let people down. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up in the same area more than once. It's called life. And you can allow those mess-ups to define you. Or you can learn to learn from those mess-ups. Forgive yourself for those mess-ups. And instead of defining you, you can allow them to refine you. When we don't forgive ourselves, it's like we're carrying around this ball and chain. It's like we're carrying around this weight. You ever heard the expression, man, it was like a thousand pound weight was lifted off my chest. That's what happens. It's suffocating unforgiveness. I don't know what it is, but I know in a room this size, there's a lot of people struggling with that. You had your life mapped out. You ever want to make God laugh? What's the old saying? Tell them your plans. 
You had your life mapped out. You had your purpose mapped out. You knew where you were going, how you were getting there, and what time you were going to arrive. You were probably about 19 at that age. Because that seems to be when we have it all figured out. I almost feel like, what's the movie where the guy goes in reverse growth? Yeah, but I almost feel like I'm Benjamin Button. The older I get, the less I figure out. The older I get in life, the, the, the less I know what I want to do with my life. It's just reverse. I, I knew a whole lot about parenting when I had no kids. I could tell you everything you needed to know. It's funny, grandparents are that way now. Oh, did I say that? I, I, I don't know what it is in your life. That you're holding on to. But I know in a group this size. If plan B. Is ever going to become plan A. Chances are real good. There's an area in your life you need to forgive yourself. Because until you release yourself. From that ball and chain. Until you release yourself from that guilt, until you release yourself from that shame, you're never going to be able to function and live the life you were created for because the head games in your life will stop you from doing it. The six inches between this ear and this ear has defeated more people than any other thing in the world. I don't know what it is today you need to forgive yourself about. And let me go ahead and tell you, I don't really care. You don't need to send me a direct message today telling me. I don't need a text message. I don't need an email. I'm not the Pope. I'm not your priest. I don't need confessional. But I know there's something. And I know chances are real, real good it's already popped up in your mind this morning. Maybe you went through a rebellious period in your life and hurt a lot of people along the way. They've forgiven you. But you can't forgive yourself. Maybe you physically hurt somebody. I was talking to someone recently who was in a car wreck. It was their fault. They weren't paying attention. They were stupid. The other person they hit was badly injured. Ten years later... They still live with that guilt. They still live with that shame. It's almost like they're the ones who became paralyzed. Unforgiveness will crush you. Maybe you said something, man, there's no more vicious thing in the world than this. Maybe you said something to someone you love or someone you care about and you can't take it back. And you replay it all the time, those words that you uttered. And you live with the guilt and the shame. I was talking to someone recently and at a younger age, they got pregnant, gave birth to the child and gave it up for adoption. Honestly, as an outsider looking in, listening to the person's story, probably the best decision they could have ever made at that time in their life. 17 years later, the guilt still cripples them every day. I, I can't relate to that. I don't understand the pain. I know it's real. But 17 years, this person has not been able to live the life they were created for because of guilt and shame. Maybe you didn't stop something from happening to someone else. Maybe you let your family down. Maybe you were a horrible parent. Maybe you were a horrible child. Maybe just choices and actions put people you love in a bad spot. Maybe you just let yourself go. You quit caring, quit taking care of your health. Maybe you weren't there for your kids enough growing up. I don't know. 
We could go on and on and on and on and on all day long listing the maybes of what it is you're holding on to, but the reality is you know. And now you're on to plan B in life because your decisions, or maybe not your decisions, maybe the decisions of someone else and how it hurts you has ruined your plan A. So do you stop living? Do you give up on life like many people I know have? Or do you realize that we serve a God of forgiveness and that forgiveness applies to ourselves? And we pick ourselves back up. Here's something you need to remember today. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, I want you to remember this phrase. You'll never live the life God wants you to live. I said you'll never live the life God wants you to live until you choose, and make no mistake about it, baby, it's a choice, to forgive yourself. You'll never live the life God wants you to live until you make the choice to forgive yourself. There's a great story in the New Testament. The New Testament is the second part of the Bible about a dude named Peter. I dug Peter, man. Peter was a rough neck dude. He would have fit in an action church real, real good. It's funny. Religion, the institution of church, has really tried to clean up the people of this book. We put the word saint in front of their names. And we think they were saints. This is a book of effed up people. I don't think you should say that. There's no other way to say it. This is a book from Genesis to Revelation of screwed up people who made poor choices who did things that we would look down upon them on. And God said, that's who I'm going to use. That doesn't fit pastor's narratives because we want to preach that they were nice, clean, and squeaky, and shiny, and had it all together. That way we can guilt you into being nice, clean, squeaky, and having it all together. Uh Uh-uh. Messed up folks. And this dude Peter, man, he was one of the 12 men of all the people in the world. He was one of the 12 who was chosen to follow Jesus everywhere. He's one of the 12 disciples. But not only was he one of the 12, he was selected as one of the three that was in the inner core. Not only was he one of the three... He was the one. He was the right-hand man to Jesus. He was a tonto to his lone ranger. The boda was Luke. Because everybody knows Luke was in charge. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Then you go watch the Dukes of Hazard. It was Jesus' right-hand man. Everywhere Jesus went, Peter went. He learned at the feet of Jesus. He saw the miracles firsthand, and he was the appointed one to lead the charge later on in spreading the gospel. If anybody should have had it all together, it should have been Peter. But man, Peter screwed up big time in Luke 22. Give you a little bit of context because actually it would have been right about this weekend that this happened. Jesus has been taken into custody to be crucified. This would have been about tomorrow, actually. A large crowd has gathered. And amongst the crowd is Peter because he's fearful that they're going to grab him and crucify him because he was a follower of Jesus. He's fearful after following Jesus for three years and seeing Jesus work. They love you when you're on top. It's another sermon for another day. 
And he's hiding. He's got his cloak on. And the masses are out there. And they're screaming for Jesus to be crucified. What's funny is it's Palm Sunday. Just a few days before they were falling at his feet and worshiping him. There's your leadership lesson, man. You can go from king to crucified in a matter of seven days. He's hiding out and wants no one to notice him. And lo and behold, someone notices him. And they call him out. And Peter's faced with a decision at this point. Hey, aren't you Peter? Aren't you one of his followers? And being Jesus' right-hand man, he can acknowledge, yes, I am, proudly. Or he can deny him, and look what the Bible says. They seizing him, Luke 22, oh, verse 54. They seizing him, being Jesus. Led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Big bad Peter. Followed at a distance. Those people you think will always have your back. And when someone there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him stood there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him a second time. You're one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Think about this. He's on trial. Thousands of people out there. Peter denies him for a third time. Oh, by the way, like Jesus had told him he would do. The rooster crows, and they lock eyes. Peter and Jesus... Jesus' right-hand man and Peter, knowing that he has let him down, that he has let himself down. (laughs) Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows three times. Today you'll disown me. Verse 62, Peter, he went outside and he wept bitterly. Leave that verse up, Xander, because it's a powerful verse. You want to talk about guilt today? You want to talk about the need to forgive yourself. I mean, imagine what Peter's feeling as this went down. He's the one. Of all the disciples who you would have thought was stood with Jesus through thick and through thin three times, he denies knowing him. This is the same dude that when they came to take Jesus away, pulled out a sword and chopped off one of the soldiers' ears. He was all in. But a day later, he's denying him not one time, not two times, but three times. If anyone was going to stand up for Jesus to the end, it was going to be Peter. And Peter doesn't do it. I don't know what it is that you're feeling guilty about today. I don't know what it is that that makes your soul weep bitterly. But Peter's been there, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it, got the scars to prove it, and has some amazing lessons for you and I as we deal with guilt, as we deal with shame. Peter goes on to write much of the New Testament. Peter goes on to plant churches all over. Peter goes on to die for his faith in Christ. (laughs) But none of that happens until he forgives himself. He goes through a period of being ineffective. A period of being consumed in guilt. He goes through a period of shame. Because sin will always bring you shame. He goes through a period where he's not living the life he's created for. And some of you are there today. Matter of fact, let's back that up. I would be willing to bet the large majority of you are there today. 
because guilt's powerful. When confronted in the courtyard, he denied ever knowing him. The Bible says he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, it's easy to look at Peter and laugh at it. It's easy to look at Peter and say, man, I'd never do that. But we've all been where Peter was. No one had to tell Peter he'd blown it. He knew it. Peter had done the one thing that he said, I'd rather die than deny you. And yet he does it three times. Imagine the guilt that Peter feels. Imagine the anger that he feels. Imagine the type of failure that he feels like. It was something that literally ate away at Peter. And again, I don't know what it is that eats away at you. you know what it is? Again, maybe you took something from work. I don't know. Maybe, man, you were selfish when your kids were young and you missed so much of their life. I, I don't know. Again, maybe you're a kid and got mad at your parents for no reason for being parents. And went periods without talking to them. I was talking to someone today who at one time was very close with a family member, and they said, we haven't talked in a year, they got mad at us. And I made the comment to them, I said, what a shame at that age, when you don't know when it's going to be your last day. BTW, we don't know when it's going to be our last day. To live with that kind of bitterness and not fix something. (laughs) Peter, so upset, he was done. (laughs) Matter of fact, I, I like how John... Gives us the mindset of Peter. Peter's at the end of his rope. He's done. He thinks his life's over. Look what the Bible says in John 21.3. He says, I'm going out to fish. Now, we would laugh if we didn't understand the context of that. We think, boy, he was a good old boy, wasn't he? Wife's gone. Took the truck and the dog. I'm going to miss her. When I get home, now I'm on the lake shore. I, I make up words. I don't know the rest of the words, but I'm going to fish. Christine says I butcher the words. I say I freestyle like Eminem. I'm going out to fish. But that was his profession. When Jesus found Peter, he was a fisherman. What he's basically saying is what is there left for me to do in my life but go back to what I was. I, I've let Jesus down. I've let myself down. I've got to do something. I've totally failed the Lord. I feel guilty about it. I can't forgive myself. And, and the weight is hanging on me. I'm just going to go back to what I knew previously. The Bible says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly. We actually have a vomit-eating dog. Shit-eating dog, too. I've never understood that. You say, you're cut. I'm not. That's country slang right there. That's what it's called. I, I don't understand a dog that would eat crap and other dogs throw up, but ours does because he's an idiot. It's the nastiest thing in the world. But the Bible says a dog returns to its vomit. That's how a fool to its folly. Peter's a fool. It goes back to when he thought his life was over. He knows eating the vomit's gross. But he thinks, what else have I got to do? He struggles. What do I go from from here? Man, I, I replay it every day in my mind. I know he did because I've been there, done that. We've done that. He replays that tape over and over and over and over. Ten years ago, we said he hit rewind. Now he just moves a little icon over and streams it again. Technology changed, so now his mind can see it even clearer. He can see it in 4K. He says, I'm going fishing. When he says, I'm going fishing, you need to understand, it's been a few months now. He's been purposeless. He's been living in his funk. Jesus has resurrected from the grave. When Peter says he's going out fishing, suddenly Jesus reveals himself in human form. Back to Peter, look what the Bible says. When they had finished eating... He's gathered disciples back around, including Peter. 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. That guilt's eating him up. And he don't know what Jesus is fixing. So he don't know if Jesus is fixing to look at him and be like, then why'd you deny me? <laughs> He'd have done this. This has been a Gary move right here. You love me? Hmm. Why weren't you loyal to me? Why didn't you have my back? Peter don't know what's about to be said. Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said, if you love me, go feed. Spread the message. Then he said it again a second time. He said, why do you have to do it again? I I, I think Jesus was letting Peter know each of those failures because you did it three times. I'm just going to remind you, I got you. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Just want to make sure. Go feed my sheep. Third time. Third time. That's where I call BS on he's a God of second chances. He's a God of as many chances as you need. If he's only a God of second chances, then we're doomed. (laughs) Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt this time. He's like, yeah, I love you. What are you trying to prove? He's missing the point. He's missing the point that Jesus is letting him know, man, you're beating yourself up over these three times and I already forgave you. Just asked him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all these things. I love you. Be my sheep. You know what Jesus was allowing Peter to do? Don't miss this. Jesus had already forgiven him. He was allowing Peter to forgive himself. Here's the thing about your screw-up. Here's the thing about your mess-up. Here's the thing about not being there or whatever, or what you stole or who you did wrong or who you cheated on or whatever it is that's beating you up. Here's the thing about it. No matter how much guilt you feel, no matter how bad you feel about it, no matter how bad you're beating yourself up about it, you can not go back in time and change it. As cool as it would be to jump in the DeLorean, plug in the coordinates, hit whatever miles per hour it was they had to hit, go back before that and change it, it's impossible. You can't get those words back. Old cheesy saying, you know the thing, you can squeeze all the toothpaste out of a the tube, the tube, that's easy. Now try to get it back in. You can't do it. What's been done is done. I just wish I could change it. You can't. If wishes were kisses or whatever the stupid saying is, you can't. You can't go back and be a better mom. You can't. You sucked at it. You can't go back and be a better kid. You screwed up. You sucked at it. I remember the first time, the only time I ever told my mom I hated her. I can close my eyes and visualize it just like that. I'd love to go back and change that. I can't. I can remember sitting my kids down and letting them know, hey, your mom are not going to be married anymore. I'd love to have been able to do that in a different way. I can't. So what am I going to do? Live my life beating myself up for the rest of my life over that? Or am I going to learn from it? Try to do better in the future. And move on the amazing gift that God gives us of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not just for others. It's for you. There's no victory living with guilt. There's no victory living with shame. There's no victory living with with sorrow. There's no victory living with bitterness. There's no victory living with that anger. You can't make up for it. You can't double up your deeds to make up for this past. It doesn't work like that. I 
I'll never forget a guy coming to me and he stole $1,000 from a person. And he said, man, I thought I could make it right. And I said, okay, what'd you do? I'm just listening. He said, man, I, I told the person, I said, man, I took $1,000 from you. I'm, I'm going to pay you back 2000 I said, well, how'd that go? He said, I mean, they took the money. But they told me they still don't trust me. Yeah. You can't double up. People forget about what you did. I'm not telling you to forget what you did today. I'm telling you to quit carrying it around, the guilt that comes with it. <laughs> In the same way that Jesus allowed Peter to forgive himself, God wants you, me, us, to forgive ourselves. Man, some of you have been holding unforgiveness towards yourself for a long time. I met a 50-year-old person today who was still upset about something they did when they were 16. Hasn't had a healthy relationship since then because of the guilt they have when they were 16. Can't be a kid, wasn't a kid to the kid she had because of the decision she made when she was 16. What a miserable, freaking way to live. You say, Gary, well, well, if it's so easy, how do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. And for those of you who didn't ask, you're the ones who need to hear it. For those of you who think, I don't have that issue, you do. You just refuse to hear everybody telling you that you hurt them. We hate hearing that, don't we? We spin it in our head different. I don't remember it that way. Don't matter how you remember it. It's how they remember it. Perception is reality. Even if reality is not true, you might be right. But they perceive it that way. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to realize everyone screws up. Let me repeat that again because I know that's really groundbreaking to you today. But it's important that you understand. Everyone screws up. You're not special because you F up. You're not special because you hurt somebody. You're not special because you messed up. It's called reality. Look to the person to the right of you and say, man, you're a screw up. Go ahead, look at them, do it. Now look to the person to the left of you. I don't even care if you know them. And say, man, you're a screw-up. Because guess what? They are. It is the height of arrogance to think, I'll never screw up. It's the height of arrogance to think, I'm the only one who will screw up. I told you, my pet peeve is when I meet arrogant in this community. If I came in that church, the roof would cave in. Don't flatter yourself, baby. You ain't as bad as you think. The roof would cave in. Shut up. Now, let me say this. This doesn't give me a license to screw up. Everybody screws up. I guess it's just life. But the reality is there's not a person in this room who hasn't screwed up. There's only one person who ever lived the perfect life, and you ain't him. His name's Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. Nobody. Not the preacher. Not the preacher's wife. Not the preacher's kids. Definitely not the preacher's kids. Nobody. The Pope. I don't know who the big nun is nowadays. I think, wasn't Teresa? She's dead, ain't she? Whoever the big nun is. Whoever the big, good God, not, definitely not the big preacher. Every time one of them dies, we find out all the dirt about them. Nobody. That person you follow on Facebook who you're, you're covetous of their life because they fake everything they post. 
Everybody screws up. Everybody has his written. There's no one righteous. No, not one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all. Guess what? Let me break it down for you in the original language. That word all, it means all. I don't understand the Bible. The words don't mean what they mean. No, the word all means all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You fall short of God's glory because God's glory is perfection. And if you didn't fall short of his glory, he wouldn't have had to send his son to die on the cross to pay the payment for our sins. That's where you miss it. Man, we owed a debt we couldn't pay. His son paid a debt he didn't owe. It's that simple. Imperfect things don't get into a perfect heaven. We're imperfect. Your works do. I'm a good person. No, you're not. Even a newborn baby's a lying thing. Ain't nothing wrong with that baby and it's crying like it's. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Lying. I never had to teach my kids to lie, they just figured it out. One of my kids lied to me this week. And one of my kids pushed a kid down and dropped the F-bomb on him. On the school bus. Freaking preacher kids. I don't know where he heard that from, Christine. Man. Realize everyone sins. You're not special. You say, why is this so important? It's so important to realize that you're beating yourself up over something that everyone else does. We mess up. When you're holding on to unforgiveness for yourself, yourself, oh man, don't miss this. When you're holding on to unforgiveness for yourself, you're saying you're on par with God. But you get to call the shots. You're holding yourself to an expectation that can't be met. That's why religion fails. That's why people burn out on religion. Your good works got outweigh your bad works. We're all screwed up. We all mess up. You're bound for disaster because it's impossible to live in a perfect way and follow all the rules. Man. You know, every time that I screw up, why I screw up? Because I think I'm above screwing up. I think I'm above it. That won't happen to me. I won't do that. Man. I don't got to follow these rules. You know the reason so many people got hurt by my actions? Because they don't realize everyone screws up. Well, he's the pastor. Huh? Like, does that give me some kind of force field that I don't know about? I'm the pastor, so boobs are not attractive. That made you uncomfortable, didn't it? I'm the pastor, so man, I could easily steal that $10,000. I don't know, I'm the pastor, I would never... I'm the pastor, so man, I would never screw over that person to benefit me. No. It's wild... And I, and I think pastors and I think leaders ought to be held to a higher standard. I'm not, don't miss out on that. But what I'm saying, all these leaders that let you down, first of all, they didn't let you down because they don't answer to you. I'm so disappointed in Senator so-and-so that he did that. Listen, you're not his wife. Let his wife be disappointed in him. He didn't let you down. He didn't make a commitment to be faithful to you. Suddenly can't do his job because he did that. Stupidest thing I ever heard. He's human. Matter of fact, I'm sick of saying he. She's human. Women, y'all ain't exempt. Y'all dirty too. <laughs> Kylie says it all the time. I think it's Betty must tell Kylie more than Christine tells me. He said, You don't think women are dirty. Go drink wine with all the women from the church when they go to the winery. <laughs> I'm gonna let you ladies know, right? Betty, right now, is giving all y'all secrets away. Bunch of dirty, perverted women at this church. Well, I got, I got a Bonnie man in back there. 
He's like, that's why I come to this church. <laughs> Man, if you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, do that church a favor and don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. You're looking for the perfect pastor? Keep looking. I know this is such a simple point, but it's so groundbreaking. It's the foundation to forgiving yourself. When I accept that I'm not above perfection, or when I'm not above messing up, there's no way I can achieve perfection, I quit striving for it. Doesn't mean I don't try to be the best husband, the best dad, best pastor. I still strive to be the best in everything I can be. But perfection is not attainable. What you're beating yourself up over right now that you can't forgive yourself for, guess what? You're not special. You're not alone. Chances are the person next to you is struggling with the same thing. The book's full of messed up people. Moses wrote the first four or five books. One of the greatest leaders to ever live. He killed a dude out of selfishness to protect his own identity. That's the kind of people God uses. Samson loved the lady so much that not one time, not two times, not three times, the Bible says more times than they can list, broke his covenant with God for a booty call. Samson. David. The Bible says, this is what it says. David was a man after God's own heart. Had an affair. Then killed her husband to cover up the affair. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament... Murdered Christians for simply being Christians. Peter, right here in our text today, denied he even knew Jesus. Everyone screws up. So stop thinking you're special and beating yourself up over it. Quit holding on to something that you can't control. Second thing. We need to remember Jesus paid the price for our sins. So you screw up? That sucks. The good news about it? Jesus paid the price. 1 John 2, 2 says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also, I'm running good on time, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not that I care if I wasn't. One of them preachers were backstage, just added a funeral yesterday with two other preachers. And I guess the order of service was up there. <laughs> I don't know where Phil's at. The one guy said, says you have 60 minutes there. You preach 60 minutes? I said, when they're lucky. <laughs> he said, you go for 60 minutes? I said, every week. And Phil threw me under the bus, I ain't going to lie. He said, how much of that's good preaching? Phil said about 35 minutes. So the guy's like, I try to stay to 35. And I said, well, how much of that's good preaching? Man. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Psalm 65.3 says, when we, were ov- when we were overwhelmed by sin, it overwhelmed you. You forgave our transgressions. Acts 13 says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, this is important. We're going to camp out here for a minute. The wages of sin is death. Everyone screws up. But the problem is there's a payment for our sin. You messed up in your marriage. The payment might be you lost your marriage. If you don't lose your marriage, you've got to rebuild the trust. You stole from an employer, chances are you payments, you lost that job. Weren't a good parent, 
payment is you ruin the relationship with your kid. There's a payment for our sin. So just because everyone screws up doesn't mean there's not a payment due for it. But the Bible also says the wage of sin is death. That's not talking about physical death. You break that down in the original language, it means a, a spiritual death separated from God. So because of our sin, we become separated from God. But, you know how I feel about buts? But, but, the gift of God. You know the great thing about a gift? You can't earn it. We lie to our kids. If you're good all year, Santa will bring you gifts. That's not a gift. That's a wage. If you do this, you get this. We lie. A gift is something I give you because you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't pay for it. I just give it to you because, man, boom, it's a gift. Payment for our sin. But the gift, this amazing gift God gives us, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) There's never been anyone who hasn't sinned. That's a fact. But the fact that everyone's sin presents a problem. There's a payment due for our sin. Because of our sin, we're separated from God. So a payment had to be made on our behalf. Don't miss this. That's what Jesus did. Some of you who grew up in a Catholic church or a a more... um, um, formal church or a, a more Protestant-type church that, that shows you that your good deeds get you into heaven, they lied to you. I'm not trying to offend you today. They lied to you. If you went in some kind of cult that says, man, you earn your way into something, they lied to you. You're not good enough to work your way into heaven. Don't flatter yourself. Had to be a payment for our sin. So Jesus came, he lived a sinless, perfect life for 33 years. And he became the sacrifice that paid for our sin. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. Don't miss this. It means simply, you've been forgiven. You don't got to do 20 jumping jacks. You don't got to do penance. You don't got to say Hail Marys. You don't got to give a lot of money. I wish I could be that preacher that would tell you that you did. You got to give a lot of money. You did that, man. It's $10,000. Drop it in the plate. (laughs) But I can't because the book don't say it. Someone who is truly forgiven. How many of you have ever had anybody do you wrong and you've forgiven that person? After you've forgiven that person... You don't want them walking around with the guilt of that, what they did to you. You forgave them. In your mind, you released them from that, but they're still carrying it around. Christ is like, I've forgiven you. Quit carrying it around. He gave his life so we can be forgiven. I run into people all the time, 12 years. I run into people I haven't seen in 12 years, and they're running to me. Christine and I go out to eat on Valentine's Day. A couple gets seated next to us. I won't say his name, but he was the worship pastor and his wife at my previous church that starts with an R and has a big church out on 20. (laughs) They get seated next to us and they ask to be moved. Twelve years. I run to people all the time, and then after they run to me, they're like, I don't even feel like he feels bad. It's been 12 freaking years. I hate that it happened. hate the hurt that came from it. But here's the deal. I forgave myself a long time ago. You think I'm going to live at 44, dang, 45 next Saturday? I am old. I know I look like I'm 60. That's because I pastor you people. But listen, (laughs) 12 years, you think I'm going to live there like it just happened? You're crazy. You just don't care. No, I care. But I don't care. Because I'm forgiven. Forgiveness forgiveness is amazing. It's so freeing. (laughs) We're going to remember Jesus paid the price. You know what else we're going to (laughs) do? We're going to return to Jesus. That return is important because the reason you screwed up in the first place is because you probably weren't following Jesus. I've learned 
when I go through periods of stupidity every day, <laughs> the big periods of stupidity, it can be traced back to my personal time with Christ. I hate when Christine does this. When she feels that tension, she feels I'm just off kilter. Something's not right. You good? I'm good. She'll do it for about two or three days. You good? I'm good. She knows I'm not good. And then about that third day, she'll let me ask you a question. Yeah? Been reading your Bible? I don't need you preaching to me. How's your prayer time with God? Because she knows. As your personal time of worship goes, so you go. Let me educate you. If this is the only Jesus you get every week, no wonder you're starving to death. They say, well, be a better preacher. No, no, no. You could have the greatest preacher. You could have Charles Stanley, the greatest Bible scholar probably of the modern era, in my opinion. Teach you every week. And if that's all you get for an hour, you're starving. But here's what I know. Most of you ain't even get that much. Because you only come here about twice a month. I know you ain't listening to a podcast. So about your fill of Jesus now is your three-minute clip of Stephen Furtick that everyone shares every week on social media. That was so good. It was good. His little three-minute cliche was great. But if you listened the whole hour, it'd have been greater. Because he broke that cliche down. You got your two minutes of Joel Olstein saying, God loves you, and unicorns fart bubbles, and you get to go out and think, and I've got a funny little joke for you today. And, and you wonder why you're starving. Or the sun shines on the dog's butt every now and then, and Andy Stanley says something that's actually biblical, and someone throws a two-minute clip out there of it. You get a little bit of Jesus for a minute. You say, man, you're being hard. No, no. What I'm saying is, is our personal time with Christ sucks. And we wonder why we can't let go of unforgiveness because we're not being fed. Go eat once a week. See how it works for you. Jesus demands being first in our lives. Yet we push into the back burner of our lives. That's where Peter was. Peter was angry. He was mad. Jesus had been taken. And what's funny, he's angry because they've taken Jesus in, but he knew it was going to happen because Jesus had told him it was going to happen. Now he's out fishing, giving up on the calls that he's given three years of his life to. He knew Jesus was going to raise from the dead. Jesus had told him. But instead of looking for Jesus, he was fishing. We're guilty of the same things. No one on time with Christ. No time in the book. No prayer time. When was the last time you were just still and listened for God? When was the last time you confessed your sins? Let Jesus know you're aware of your mistakes. One-on-one time is so vital. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, even knew the importance of it. <laughs> Man. Many times you went off to be alone. The turning point in Peter's life was when he got back in fellowship with Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. They're fishing. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, I love that phrase. This is after he screwed up. <laughs> this is before Peter has forgiven himself. The disciple whom he loved. God, that's so good. Aren't you glad God loves us in the midst of our mess-ups? Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water, swam to the shore. Peter knew he had to get back to Jesus. He wasn't waiting for the boat to get there. 
He wasn't waiting for the fishing trip to be done. He knew he had veered away from Jesus and his life had fallen apart. All right, we got to get out of here. We're going to realize everyone messes up. We're going to realize Jesus forgives our sins. We're going to return to fellowship with Jesus. And then we're going to respond to God's call on our lives. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus answered, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Answer, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, because the third time you love me. Lord, you know all these things. Feed my sheep. He told Peter, you messed up. You're forgiven. <laughs> Get back to doing what I called you to do. Now notice, church. I don't think a lot of pastors listen to my sermons, but pastors listen to my sermons on podcast. Notice he didn't put Peter on the sideline for three years and tell him he's got to figure some things out. Notice he didn't tell Peter, you're done with ministry. Notice he didn't say, hey, I need you to go. And I'm not against this, so don't mistake that. But he didn't say, hey, I need you to go through this 24-month counseling program. And notice what he said. He didn't say, I need you to go clean some bathrooms to prove you're humble. He said, go feed my sheep. He said, go do what I called you to do. I have a calling on your life. I have a purpose on your life. I have great plans for you. He said, he said, when you were in your mother's wombs, I called you and I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. Get busy doing what I called you to do. Here's what I'm telling you today. You screwed up, that sucks. Everyone screws up. You screwed up, you're forgiven. You screwed up, return to Jesus. You screwed up, get busy doing what you're called to do. We don't need you on the sidelines. The people on the sideline don't win the game. Get busy doing. But Gary, I I guess what? Learn from it. Because out of your biggest mess will come your greatest ministry. Get busy doing. Now, that doesn't mean why you're doing, don't go get some counseling. You might need some counseling. I don't know. I'm not saying why you're doing, don't try to better yourself. Go better yourself. But you got one life to live. And you don't need to live it on the sidelines. I'll never forget, I lost everything out of passion. I said, man, you think God will ever use me again? He said, yeah. He said, but it's going to take time. I said, I understand. I said, how much time do you think? He said, man, I don't know. He said, in the Bible, seven's the number of completion, maybe seven years. I said, you must be freaking crazy. <laughs> Whoa, what? I said, no. I'll be damned if I'm going to let my city die and go to hell while I'm sitting on the sideline for seven years. I know what I did wrong. Get back in the race. Get back on the field. Man, it's powerful to me. It's powerful Peter had blown it in the biggest possible way, and Jesus is telling him, just get back to your calling. Jesus didn't remind him he screwed up every day. He said, get back. Hey, you know why Jesus didn't remind him that he kept screwing up, by the way? Because the Bible says God will forgive your sins as far as the east is from the west. Do you know the east and the west never touch? He said he remembers your sins no more. He doesn't remind you of your sins because he's forgotten your sins. (laughs) Man, that's powerful. God. Some of you are so busy living with guilt. Are so busy trying to make it right. What you did wrong. That you're missing out on life. Chances are the person you hurt is forgiving you. Chances are if the person hasn't forgiven you, they're probably not going to forgive you. And if they haven't forgiven you and they eventually do forgive you, they will forgive you on their own terms, not yours. So forgive yourself. But they're still hurt. I I get it. Sucks. I hate it. Forgive yourself. And get busy living. 
when plan A B becomes plan A, everybody here is on plan B. There's nobody here on plan A. No, let me repeat that. There ain't nobody in this church on plan A. Nobody. But your plan B can become your plan A. And if you mess up on plan B, your plan C can become plan A. But you've got to forgive yourself. Until you forgive yourself, you'll never achieve what God wants you to achieve. Let's pray.